So that's the reason why we are taking the time to talk about the 40 days is because that's exactly the reason why Jesus spent 40 days after he resurrected. He wanted to make sure that everybody knew that he was alive. He wanted to make sure that everybody saw, that, that could see possibly, could see you know, him alive to just verify the facts that, the fact that he did resurrect, that it wasn't a hoax, it wasn't a made-up story, it wasn't a, you know, may, you know, maybe he didn't actually die, it was the fact that he truly did die, and everybody saw that. He came up out of the grave, God the Father called up him up out of the grave and he showed himself he showed himself to you know people over over 40 day period of time and so so I just want to just continue to you know instill that confidence and 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 for you to have that kind of faith and that trust that we put our faith and our hope in into a risen Savior. That's where we put our hope and our faith, that, that our God is still alive, that he is alive, and he is at the right hand of the Father. And, and so last week, we just talked about his first encounter that he had with a woman named Mary and what he revealed to her, you know, what he showed her. And I would encourage you, if you, you know, were here last week, to go back and, and listen. And, and I, I think that what he showed her is what he wants you to see and what he wants you to understand uh, when it comes to your, your journey of this faith. And so, so we're going to look at today another couple people that he showed himself to. So if you brought a Bible, we're going to be looking in Luke chapter 24. If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in a seat uh, nearby you. I mean, we're also going to have the, uh, the scriptures up on the screen for you to follow along as well. But there was a man by the name of James Tillis. He was a heavyweight boxer back in the early 80s. And he was from Tulsa, Oklahoma. And he decided that he was going to, you know, train as a boxer and, and, uh, and, and where he wanted to train was is that he wanted to go to Chicago. Uh, he had some opportunities there. And so he got on a bus from Tulsa to Chicago and he got off the bus. He had two suitcases under his arms. And as he's, you know, walking to his destination, he walks to where, what is now known as Willis Tower, but uh, maybe you are familiar with Sears Tower. And he decides that he's going to put his suitcases down and he looks up at Sears Tower and he says that he said he said to himself he was telling the story he said he said to himself I'm going to conquer this city I'm going to conquer this city and he looks down and his suitcases were gone now that can be discouraging don't you think like you you kind of walk in with a lot of high hopes and expectations and and anticipation of of something great and then it doesn't take much, right? It doesn't take much to sort of get us to feel discouraged, to get us to feel, you know, like, oh, man, I, I thought it, would, it was going to go better. I thought it was going to go different, and it just didn't go the way that I wanted it to go. And sometimes when it comes to our faith, that we have an expectation of God in that same way, that we think that God should have, you know, answered this particular prayer of maybe an answered prayer of healing somewhere along the line. Maybe there's a health issue. Maybe you were expecting God to answer some sort of prayer of, you know, of, of, of you know, financial, you know, recovery or, or maybe some sort of, you know, you know, issue when it comes to a relationship or whatever the case may be. Maybe it's a job situation that you were hoping that you would be further along in your career than you are and you just seem to be, you know, held back 
back for some reason or another. And you sort of wondered, you know, God, why haven't you worked this out for me? God, why haven't you, you know, made this situation better? Why hasn't this improved? And all of us have these expectations and all of us sort of feel like at times where, you know, we're, we're you know, high and ambitious and optimistic and, you know, just encouraged. But then it doesn't take much to sort of lose that encouragement. It doesn't take much to sort of feel like a little hopeless and, 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 and you know, concerned and, and, and sad. Well, the good news is, is that you know, how we feel sometimes when it comes to maybe an expectation that we have of God, maybe an expectation that we have of others. It's easy for us to, you know, lose that, 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 you know, the encouragement to lose that hope and to feel hopeless and to feel sad. But the good news is, is that those who spent a lot of time with Jesus also felt that. The good news is that those that spent, you know, many, many years, you know, walking and talking with Jesus, learning from Jesus, watching Jesus do amazing things. I mean, as a matter of fact, in their own words, they would describe the people that felt discouraged, the people that felt hopeless, the people that felt sad. This is the way that they, they was, it was described. They, in their own words, described Jesus as one who was mighty in deeds and words, in the presence of God, in the presence of others. I mean, this is how they felt, though. They felt like God didn't come through for them when they thought he would, that God was going to do something different, and he didn't. They were wondering, when is God going to you know, meet this need or, or meet this, you know, this, this requirement or expectation, and he never, he never did, or he, at least he hasn't yet. But these are people that spent time with him and felt the, the times of discouragement, felt times of sadness, hopelessness that we many oftentimes feel. So the story begins when it was the day that, uh, it was the day, the first day of the week, the day that Jesus resurrected, and t- there was two disciples. Uh, one was named Cleopas, and the other one, we don't know their names, um, but Luke is, re- is recording this story, and he's describing them sort of having a conversation. They were in Jerusalem at the time, which many, many people came to Jerusalem at the time when Jesus was you know, arrested and, and crucified and, and resurrected because it was, they were there celebrating Passover. So, so many, many people came from different, different places to, to come to Jerusalem, and so they were heading back to to their home. They were heading back to a place, a little town called Emmaus. The scripture tells us it's about a seven mile distance between Jerusalem and Emmaus. And as they were heading back home, they were having just this, you know, d- discussion with one another. And obviously it was probably something that was seen or evident. You could sort of see their frustration. You could sort of see their aggravation. You can sort of sense that they were, you know, really, really, really upset about something and discouraged about something. And then the story tells us that Jesus came alongside of them, that Jesus saw them having this sort of animated discussion as they're heading back to Emmaus, and Jesus starts coming up alongside of them. But they didn't recognize him. They didn't recognize him. And we're going to pick it up in verse 16. Look what it says. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. Their eyes were prevented from recognizing him, and we're going to talk about in a minute why they were so they didn't here they are these two people heading back home Jesus has now come alongside of them and they don't recognize him their eyes were prevented from recognizing him in verse 17 he said to he said to them what are these words that you are exchanging with one another are you as you are walking and they stood still looking sad 
So here, they, obviously, they're exchanging these words. They're, they're, you know, Jesus hears what they're talking about. And he said that in, in the, the way that they were described was that they were looking sad. Verse 18, one of them named Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? I love that. He's, they're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. You, you're like the only one in town not aware of what's going on around here. You're like the only one in town. In other words, here's what they were saying. Jesus, are you the only one aware of what's happening in these days? Now, none of you have ever said that before, have you? God, are you in tune to what's going on in my life? God, are you aware of the circumstances that are surrounding what I'm dealing with? God, are you, are you really, really listening to what is happening in these days of, these, of, this, of this time of my life? Are you really listening? And I love the response. Look at what it says in verse 19. Here's what it says. Look at what it says. And he said to them, what things? Now, you got to just find the humor in this. Like here they're going to, G they're looking at Jesus going, are you not aware of what's happening around here? And Jesus' response to them is like, what, what things? What, what, do you, what do you mean? What, what, what are you talking about? It'd be like this. It'd be like, let's imagine, let's just, let's just imagine, because it's, it's probably never going to happen, so we just have to kind of go into some sort of like imaginary fantasy world, okay? So let's imagine that the Lions went to the Super Bowl, the Detroit Lions, I, it's never going to happen, but let's just, let's just hypothetically, you know, imagine if the Detroit Lions played in the Super Bowl and, and, and we, you know, we're talking about how the Lions, you know, are playing in the Super Bowl and it would be like you going, hey, what's, what are you talking about? And then, and then we'd be like, you would just be like, what are you talking about? You know, the Lions, the Detroit Lions, they've never win anything and they're playing in the Super Bowl and it would be like that, you know, it'd be like that. Or, or, or it'd be like there's like me talking about like some superhero movie that's out right now and, you know, I don't know if you've heard of it, you know, but it's a superhero movie called, you know, Avengers Endgame, yeah. It's the, okay, it's the, it's the only thing that gets them fired up, all right? It would be like me going, you know, this like movie, and you'd be like, what movie? What movie? Like, who isn't aware, like, of this movie, right? What is, what is going on? And this is what Jesus has said. Now, listen, listen, listen. All this demonstrates is, is God's patience towards us. I just want you to realize that. Do you think that Jesus was aware of what was going on? Of course he was. He was at the center of it. Of course he was aware of what was happening. He was, at, he was in the middle of it. It was everything that they were talking about. They were talking about, you know, and they're gonna, you know they, it even says this in verse 19. Look what it says. It says, and he said to them, what things? And they said to him, you know, you know, the things concerning the things about Jesus the Nazarene, who is a prophet, mighty in deed and word in the sight of God and all the people. You know, you know that situation? Which, by the way, everybody in Jerusalem knew what was going on. Everybody in Jerusalem knew that there was a man named Jesus from, from Nazareth who was, who was a prophet and he did mighty deeds and had mighty words with authority. And he did it in front of the sight of God and, and many people. Everybody in Jerusalem knew that. They knew that. And then it says in verse 21, look at it, it says, but we were hoping, but we were hoping that it was he who was going to fill in the blank. 
And I don't know about you, but maybe you've said this before. We were hoping, God, 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 I was hoping that you were going to do this, that you were going to reconcile this. God, I was hoping that you were going to fix this. God, I was hoping that you were going to make this better. God, I was hoping that you were going to make this right. God, I was hoping that you were going to, you know, bring me out of, of this, you know, oppression. God, I was hoping that you were going to, you know, make my circumstance easier. I don't know about you, but I think that many times we've said these things. I know that I have. God, I was just hoping, I was hoping, I had this expectation that you were going to do something different and you didn't do what I thought you should do. The verse says, and this was there for them, but we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, this is the third day since these things happened. In other words, they were thinking that they had a different idea of who Jesus was going to be for them. They had a different idea of who the Christ was going to be. Their idea was that, was that they were going to, you know, that they were going to have this, this conquering king, this conquering hero that was going to rise up and they were going to, you know, he was going to deliver the, their people out of, you know, the, the oppression, out of the slavery, out of the bondage of, of, the, of, of, of Rome. That's what they thought. They thought that, that you know, he was going to come in as a king and, and establish his throne and, and, and the people of God, the, the Jewish people of God, they were going to you know, have their rightful place back on earth again. And that's what they believed. That's what they thought. That was their expectation of who Jesus was. But the reality is, is that Jesus came for something better than that. The reality is that Jesus came to do something more than that. He didn't just come to redeem Israel. He came to redeem you and me. He came for something better. And this is the message. This is what I hope that we hold on to today, that he came to do something different. He came to do something better than your expectation. He came to do something in your life that, was, that is much different and much better than what you think that he should do in your life. He came to redeem the world, not just a nation. Then it says in verse 22, but also some women among us amazed us when they were at the tomb early in the morning, verse 23, and did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. This is what they're hearing from the testimony. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just exactly as the women also had said, but, uh, had said, but him they did not see. Then it goes on and says in verse 25, and he said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. You know why they didn't, they didn't recognize him? You know why that when he came alongside of them and started walking with them and started talking with them and they were like, you're not aware of what's going on and he's like, what are you talking about? And they began to tell them about him and what happened to him personally and they were hoping that he would going to be something different. But you know why they couldn't recognize him? is because their hearts were slow. Their hearts, eyes were closed to the story of some. Their hearts' eyes were closed to, to what, what some people came along and said, listen, this is what we saw. This is what we saw. We went to the tomb. It was some women that went to the tomb. It even says that some of them, some of his own people, the people that were walking with Jesus to, to Emmaus, some of them went to the tomb and saw exactly as the women described it. 
But they, their eyes, their heart's eyes were closed to the story of some. But also their heart's eyes were closed to the story of Scripture. To the story of Scripture. And this is oftentimes what happens to us. When we become slow of heart, when we, when we have a hard time you know, putting our faith and our trust in Jesus, that Jesus has something better for us. Even when we have an expectation of God that is different than ours, we have a hard time believing that God has something better for us. So what is it going to take? Well, I think it's sometimes for us, it's going to take you know, for us to be open to the testimony or the story of some who share you know, what, what, what they're dealing with or what God is doing in their life. And, and more, more importantly, I think that their hearts were closed to the story of Scripture. Look what Jesus does at this point. Look what it says in verse 27. Then beginning with Moses and with the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the Scripture. Boy, I wish I, wish I was there. Boy, I wish I was there to hear that. I got to imagine that as he's walking, by the way, seven-mile walk with them, that, boy, isn't it amazing that we have a Savior who left heaven to come to this earth and was willing to walk seven miles with people? I don't know who, who you know, it's worth walking seven miles with for you, but Jesus is, it's worth walk, walking seven miles. I don't know how long that took them, but it probably took them two hours. It probably would have took me three, but it probably took them, uh, you know, two hours to get, to get to home, and Jesus walked with them the whole way. And as they were walking, he was just describing to them himself in the scripture. He probably took them all the way back to Adam and Eve. When Adam and Eve sinned and made a decision to, to you know, to be their own God and to do their own thing, when sin entered in the world and God stepped in and for the first time we see this, the redemption story of God when God stepped in and he came and he, and he, and he took a, an animal from the garden that he created and he killed, God killed that animal and he used the skin of that animal to cover Adam and Eve because for the first time as a result of sin for the first time they realized that they were naked and for the first time they felt shame for the first time they felt guilt but God stepped stepped in, killed and sacrificed an animal so that that animal skin could be used to cover themselves. That is the story of Jesus. He probably went from there and talked about Abraham and how Abraham was given a promise that the Abraham's promise was that he was going to be, you know, the father of a great nation. And the beginning of that promise was a son that he gave to him by the name of Isaac. Isaac got older and and an angel came to Abraham and said, "Isaac, I or he said to Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son Isaac. And Abraham was willing because he trusted God. Abraham was willing because he believed God. Abraham was willing because he believed that God was going to do something better. God was going to do something great. And he trusted God and his God's promises. That God wasn't going to tell him to do something. That God wasn't going to tell him that, that who, who he was without doing something gr- greater in, in, in replace. And so Abraham took his son Isaac, built an altar, laid himself, his his son down, took his knife and was ready to drive his knife through his son and God stopped him and said, wait a minute, wait a minute. I know that you're, I see your faith. I see your trust. Your son no longer has to be sacrificed. And, he, and the son asked him, will God provide? Will God provide? And, and Abraham said, yes, God will provide. And he did provide. He sent his son Jesus to be the sacrifice for our sins and our, and, and our, and our shame. This is 
is the story of God. This is the story of Jesus. He may have went from there, I don't know, and probably was talking about Joseph, you know, how Joseph was betrayed by his own brothers, his own people, and he was taken and he was sold into slavery. He was took, taken down into the, you know, falsely accused and taken down into the pits of prison. And then over time, he rose up out of the pits of prison to become king and ultimately save those who betrayed him in the first place. Is that the story of Jesus or what? I don't know if he went from there, he went from Joseph to talking about Moses, how the people of God were in slavery in Egypt and God doesn't want any of his people to be in bondage, any of his people to be in slavery. And so he chose an unlikely candidate. Uh, by the way, a guy who was began in a palace who be, then became a shepherd, who started in royalty and then became lowly enough to shepherd sheep, to prepare his, himself to deliver his people out of oppression, out of bondage. And, he, and God sent Moses, an unlikely candidate, to deliver his people out of oppression through the Red Sea and into the Promised Land. Is that the story of Jesus or what? He is the one who's delivering people out. By the way, the final plague of that was that the, the straw that broke the camel's back of delivering people out of Egypt was a thing called Passover. And God came to, um, to, to Moses and said, Moses, here's what's going to happen. You need to go back to my people and you need to tell them to slaughter a lamb and take the blood of that lamb and put it on the doorpost of the house. And then that night, those who put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost of the house, the death angel is going to come. And those that have the lamb, uh, the blood of the lamb, the death angels will pass over, will pass over that house. But those who don't sacrifice a lamb, an unblemished lamb, and don't put the blood on the post of the house, they will die. The firstborn sons will die. And this is the, why, what they celebrated. This is what they celebrated when everybody was in Jerusalem. They celebrated the, the celebration of Passover when the death angel would come. I believe that Jesus was saying, hey, you remember what you were just in town for? Passover? Remember? That's about me, by the way. That's about me. I'm the lamb that my blood that is shed, that blood is going to cover up and the, the death will pass over your life to those that put their faith in their trust in the blood of the lamb. It is all about Jesus. I don't know if I have time to keep going, but I'm going to anyways, because it, it, I don't know what he said, but I'm telling you, he, could, he went through all of the scriptures. He's probably went through, you know, got to David. Hey, you know David? And they're like, yeah, who doesn't know David? You know, David, David's about me. David's all about me. A shepherd boy who was raised in Bethlehem. Does that remind you of anybody who God said was gonna become a king? Does that remind you? Of anybody and they're still just sort of lost and wondering who they're talking to but this guy has a whole lot of Old Testament Bible knowledge you know and so they're just like you know David David came you know he was a shepherd boy anointed by God to be king and he showed up one day by the way 40 days that, that, the, that the enemy specifically a guy by the name of Goliath have you ever heard of this story David and Goliath you should read it it's a great story David showed up. David's, their, Goliath is taunting God's people. He's taunting God's people 40 days. David shows up. He says, why are you not taking this guy out? Why are you not? He's talking smack against God's people. Paraphrase there, right there. But the, why are you not taking this guy out? Why is, he, why is he still talking? And David decides, you know, he's like, they're like, well, maybe you should put on Saul's armor. And David's like, ah, this is not me. This is not my look. You know, he's like, ah, just forget it. I'm just going to take my slingshot and my five 
smooth stones, and I'm going to walk down, you know, and I'm going to just take this giant out. And that's exactly what David did. David got down, faced that giant, talked a little God smack to him, and decided that he was going to put one rock in that sling. And he had four others. Why? Because Goliath had brothers. And he had one sling, one rock in that sling, and he whips that thing back, supercharged by God, plants that, that rock right between his eyes and that giant falls down. You know what that story is? That story is a Goliath giant size thing called sin that the man of God came and took out. It's all about Jesus. It is all about Jesus. I'm sure they landed somewhere in Isaiah 53. I don't know if they read Isaiah 53, but he told them, listen, here's what he's going to look like. Here's what the Messiah is going to look like. Here's what the Savior is going to look like. He's going to look like this, that he's going to be wounded for our transgressions. He's going to be bruised for our iniquities. The punishment of us all are going to be on him, and by his wounds, we will be healed. 700 years before Jesus stepped on the scene, it was what Isaiah the prophet prophesied about of who the Christ would be. I mean, we could go, Hosea, have you ever read the book of Hosea? Oh my goodness, I mean, it's, it is a story that you, we don't share with our kids, you know, because of what it's about, but I'm telling you, it is all about the story of Jesus. And Jesus spent seven miles walking with them through their scripture and pointing, that's me. And I just skimmed the surface. I could talk about the sacrificial system. I could talk about the tabernacle. I could talk about, oh my goodness, you could talk about every single page. You know why? Because every single page is about him. Every single page is all about Jesus. And he went from Moses to all of the prophets concerning things, concerning himself. You know, I love it. He didn't talk about like, you know, doctrine. He wasn't talking about doctrine. He wasn't talking about prophecy. Oh man, you know, people, you know, we need to learn more about prophecy. No, 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 no. You know what we need? We need to just know more about Jesus. That's what we need. We just need to more about Jesus. Not about doctrine. There's a time and a place for that. Prophecy, there's a time and a place for that. But that's not what he spent time doing. He spent time talking about Jesus. It says in verse 30, And when he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and breaking it and began giving it to them. So what happened is now that they, they got to their destination, and Jesus was, was going to you know, walk on ahead or walk on back or wherever Jesus was going to go from there. We don't really know. But they're like, man, man, that was, that was like riveting. What you told us about the scriptures was like so amazing. That was incredible. And it was, man, I, I, they had a better sense, a better understanding of what the Messiah was, was like. And, and so they're like, would you come in? Would you spend some time with us? And so he, Jesus did. Jesus didn't just stop at the seven-mile you know, walk. Jesus went in and spent some time with them, and they reclined at the table with them, and he took the bread, and he blessed it, and he breaking it, and he began giving it to them. You know what happened? Look what happens now. Verse 31. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. You see, their hearts were closed, 
Their hearts were closed. Their hearts, next one, next one, thank you. Their hearts were closed to the story of some. Their hearts' eyes were closed to the story of Scripture. Their hearts' eyes were opened to the story of a God-sized supply. You know what I think it reminded them when, when, they, when, they, took, when they got the bread and, and Jesus blessed it and he broke it and he started distributing it out? You know what I think it reminded them of? I think it reminded them of, and it's, the, it's a miracle that took, takes place that all four gospel writers re- write. All four gospel writers re- record it. I think that it reminded them of the time when Jesus was, it had a massive crowd, large crowd. It says that there was 5,000 men, which means there's probably men and women and children. There's probably nearly you know, 15,000 people there. I think that that reminded them, and maybe, maybe, just maybe, that they were there. Maybe they were there with them, I think it reminded them of when Jesus fed all those people. I think it reminded them of the time when they were, you know, when they were walking with Jesus and spent some time with Jesus and listening to Jesus talk, and then there's all these people, and and the disciples are wanting to send them home, you know, because it's getting late, and and, and people need to get home and get, you know, get, eat, and it's been a long day, and Jesus is like, hey, let's feed them. Maybe we should feed them. And they, and they had just said, well, we only have a few loaves of bread and a few fish. And, and Jesus said, that sounds like enough for me. And so Jesus collects what they could gather. It was just a few loaves of bread and a few fish out of thousands of people that were sitting out, out on the grass at, in some location that they were ready. And, and the disciples, and I don't know if maybe these two people from Emmaus that were heading home, maybe they were there. Maybe they were there that day. And they saw maybe what little, what little they had. Maybe they saw what little provisions that they had. And God took what little that they had and was able to make a whole lot of it. Maybe they saw God's faithfulness, God's you know, trustworthiness. Maybe they saw God's blessings. Maybe they saw what, you know, that they were hopeless, but then they, were, they found hope in, in, in Jesus because of what he was able to do that day. I don't know what the situation was, but I believe that they were reminded of that. And I believe that their hearts were accelerated as a result of what Jesus, or what they recognized Jesus in that moment. The time when Jesus was just at their table and he blessed the bread and he broke the bread and he distributed the bread. I wonder if they were reminded of that. And it even says at the beginning of that process in verse 32, look at it says, but they said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us? While he was speaking to us on the road and while he was explaining the scriptures to us. In other words, man, like our passion was just like ignited. When he he, he was talking about, you know, the scriptures and what he was, you know, revealing himself in the scriptures. And then when we were sitting at the table, like the light went on. When he broke that bread and he distributed that bread, the light went on inside of us. But before that, I could just sense my hearts were burning. That there was something that God was doing inside of us. That was igniting a passion for him. And then it says this in verse 35. And they began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. Do you know what they did? Once, he, once they recognized him and once he vanished, whatever that means, but this is just glorified Jesus, resurrected Jesus, so he, he was like going through walls and he could vanish whenever he wanted. You know what they were doing? They were going, oh my goodness, like our hearts are on fire now for him. Oh my goodness, like he explained everything in the scripture about himself. And they wanted to go and share that. 
They wanted to go and, ex- and share what Jesus has done for them, what Jesus revealed to them. They wanted to go and they wanted to share that, those experiences, and that's what they did. They just walked seven miles to go home, and you know what they did? They turned right back around and went to Jerusalem. It was a 14-mile round trip that they were willing to do. Why? Because they wanted to share. They wanted to relate their experiences of what they saw and what they witnessed of Jesus on the road and how Jesus ignited their hearts again. How Jesus, they were, they were once discouraged, but they were no longer discouraged anymore. They were now encouraged. They were once hopeless and faithless, but now they had a faith stronger than ever. What is it? What is it about that? What is it about that? Here's some things, and, and, and I, just a few things, practical things for us. Here's, here's some things that I think will help us. How do we regain our courage again and our trust in God? How do we not live this life feeling hopeless all the time? How do we, how do we trust that God is going to, even though he didn't meet maybe our expectations of what we wanted, but that he, we just know that he's got something better for us? What, it, what was it that happened to them? What was it that changed it? What was it that their heart accelerated now to having a passion and an enthusiasm for God? What was it that took place? Well, a couple things. Number one is this, that we need to see Jesus in the small things because it reminds you and me of his faithfulness. It was just about them in, you know, with bread. It was just about them sitting around the table with, with bread and something about that bread, something about him blessing it and breaking it and distributing it reminded them of his faithfulness. Something reminded them of how God is trustworthy, how God is the one who provides. By the way, by the way, you and I need to see Jesus in the small things of life. Why? Because it will remind you of his faithfulness. So in the times where you feel hopeless, in the times that you feel sad, in the times that you feel discouraged, in the times that you're ready to give up and walk away and you think that this God thing isn't really working for you, here's what you need to see. You need to see Jesus in the small things of life and that will ignite in you. That will give you a passion in inside of you of his faithfulness because here's what I know we can all look back at a situation in our life where we felt discouraged where we felt hopeless where we felt sad and God was faithful through it wasn't he but it's just every time that we fall back into something that sort of knocks us off of our, you know, our faith, sort of sets us back, sort of makes us feel discouraged you know, in, in our walk with, with the Lord, we need to be reminded even in the small things of how faithful God is. Not resort to discouragement, not resort to hopelessness, but instead resort to his faithfulness and his provisions and how he's with you. He's walking with you. By the way, he's willing to walk seven miles with you. He's willing to step inside of your home and sit in your, at your dinner table with you. He's willing to do that for you. And you and I need to see him in the small things. In the small things. This is just a silly example that happened to me this week. It's just silly, but I, it was kind of interesting and funny or great, but... Um, so I don't know, my son and I were having a conversation about jerseys. He likes to wear, uh, basketball jerseys. And so he, I don't know if he was asking me about, 
um, you know, what jersey, if I could get a jersey, what jersey would I get? And I was like, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want a jersey. Like I don't, like I had no desire, no interest at all in, in any kind of jersey. But he's like, Dad, if you could just think of one jersey, you know, custom made jersey, what, what would it be? And I was like, you know what? I go, you know, he goes, I, I, you know, this is what, and I was just messing with him. I'm like, this is what I want you to get me for Father's Day. I want you to get me a custom-made jersey of my basketball jersey when I was in college. That's what I want. I don't have my basketball jersey in college. Um, I, you know, you turn that stuff in when you're done, you know. And he, I said, you know, if I, if I could have any jersey, I would want a custom-made Rochester College jersey. That's what I would have wanted. And you're like, you were like, oh, well, what? So... Conversation ended, a couple days go by, and my kids come in with the mail, and one of my kids said, Dad, you have a package. Dad, you have a package. And I was like, oh, that's, that's weird. Normally the packages are for my wife or my kids, you know. Like, <laughs> I said, Dad, you have a package. And so I was like, I was like oh, I wonder what, what this is. I open it up, and here's what's inside of it. Now, I didn't even pray. Like, I didn't even, like, God, it would be cool if I got, I didn't, I didn't, I literally, literally, I did nothing. I was just talking about it, and, and, and I didn't even, my wife didn't even know, you know, my son knew, but, like, he wasn't going to do anything about that. So it wasn't even orchestrated by anything other than, I think, I just think, this is silly, but I think God hears us. I think God just knows our hearts. I think God just, you know, I think God just wanted to just show me, and maybe he does things for you in this way, and I'm sure he does. He just wants you to, sh- he wants you to see something. He wants you to see even in the small things of how faithful he is. And, it, and, it, and it's just, it doesn't take much, and it shouldn't take much for us to go, wait a second, wait a second. He's always faithful. Wait a second. His plans are always better than mine. So what I think that you and I should do is simply this. See Jesus in the small things. The other thing why, what I think we should do is this. Strengthen your slow heart. Strengthen your slow heart. He knows what's happening in these days. He knows what's going on. He's in tune to what's happening. He's with you. He's walking with you. He's always in tune to what is happening. How even, you don't even praying about it. You're not even like, he's not even... You know, you're not even maybe verbalizing it, but listen, he knows. He knows what's going on. Let your heart be strengthened. Pick up the pace of your heart and engage in God in that way to say, you know what? He's aware. He's aware. He knows what you're dealing with. He knows what's discouraging you. And he's walking with you. And what he told those two walking back home to Emmaus is what he's telling you and me today. Strengthen your slow heart. Strengthen your slow heart. He knows what's happening in these days. You know what else he's saying to you and me? Study the scriptures. It sets your heart on fire for more of him. Come on. Get into the word. 
Get open a Bible. If you don't own a Bible, get, let me buy you one because it is rich. It is rich. It is, it is not just a historical book, even though there's amazing, unbelievable evidence to support the validity of the scriptures and why it's true. But it's better than that. It's God's breath on a page for you. It's God's word. It's God breathed out on a page for you to open up and for you to see more of him. That's what Jesus did for them. Study the scriptures. Write your own sermons. Write your own Bible studies. Go, go in. I'm telling you, it is rich. It is deep. It, is, it will change you. There is not, you can't reach a certain level of just knowing everything about the scriptures. It is so much deeper than that. Study the scriptures. And you know what you'll discover? You know what you'll see? You'll see more of Jesus. You'll see more of Jesus in your life. You'll see more of him becoming evident in your life. You'll see more of him revealed in your life. Study the word of God. Breathe out for you and for me. It will change your heart. It will set your heart on fire for more of him. And the last thing is share your story. Share your story. He's always revealing himself. He's always revealing himself along life's walks. Share your story. Share about what God is doing in your life. Share those small things that, God, that happened to you. Share those with, with, with people that you see at work. Share, share those with, with your kids. Share those with, with people that you come across. Share what God is doing. Share your story. Use an opportunity that you, can, you have with people to share what God is doing in your life. That's what they did. They ran back to Jerusalem, seven miles. Why? To share what they experienced. To share what they saw. And I think this is the cycle. I think this is, this is the effective cycle for us when it comes to meeting needs and, 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 and loving people. It, here's where it always begins with us. And maybe it began this way with your story too. It began with someone else's story. Maybe it was somebody else that came and just spoke, you know, just talked to you about the Lord and they shared about what their experience and what, they, what God has done in their life. And then you move from someone's story to God's story, which is the, which is the scriptures. The scriptures is the story of God. And you move from going from and take, giving credibility to someone else's story and you're moving it to God's story. And then it becomes your story. And then your story becomes someone else's where somebody else hears and you share your story and it's what they hear. And then you say, you know what? Listen, my story is, is, is awesome and what God is doing in my life, but God wants to do something special in your life too. And you encourage them to get into the scriptures, get into the word of God because it's not just a book. It's the breath on a page. Read it, get into it. Study it. Get somewhere where somebody's teaching you what it says. And it will be your story. And your story will be a story of heart change. Your story will be a story of God igniting a passion and an enthusiasm for you. That's the story that God wants you to share with others.
So maybe you, maybe you, your story is a story that people need to hear. Share it. Share it. And then they'll get into God's story and there's nothing better than God's redemption story. And what God will do in your life will ignite a passion and enthusiasm for him. And when you want to feel discouraged, all you're reminded of of is his faithfulness, his provision. I'm going to invite you to stand, if you would. Brent's going to lead us in a song, and I want to suggest this song is exactly what we, our prayer should be our prayer anyways. This song for us is, is, is what we're asking God to do right now, right here and now. That we no longer want to be closed to someone, the story of someone else. That we no longer want our eyes closed to the scriptures. But we want to be, our eyes are, want to be opened to what God wants us to see. And what God wants us to reveal. And what God wants us to share with others. Lord, that is our prayer. That is, I hope, our heart's desire. Lord, that you, you open up our eyes. and you, We can see you in the small things and see how faithful you are. God, we recognize you in, in, our, in our walk and every day that you walk with us and spend time with us, Lord. And Father, I just pray, Lord, that our eyes are open to see more of you, more of you. Because you are the one who changes hearts and lives. You are the one that ignites ignites a passion inside of us to want to share our faith, to want to share what you've done in our lives. And Lord, maybe our story can be the story for someone else, that they walk into that with the understanding that you told a grander story, a story of redemption, and that that changes things forever. We thank you for revealing yourself to us every single day. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.